Training Together, the podcast for entertainment industry teachers, trainers, students, and industry professionals. Welcome, everybody. My name is Anthony Keane. I'm from Entertainment Industry Training, and this is our first episode of our podcast. So in this podcast, we want to explore what it's like to teach the entertainment industry. We're going to have some guest speakers from all over the country as facilitators and trainers. We're going to have especially people from New South Wales with the entertainment industry syllabus for the HSC. And we're going to have a huge range of people from beginning teachers to those that are very experienced. And speaking of experience, I have Susie Brandstetter in front of me here and we're going to do an interview with Susie's. To begin with though, I do just want to make this pretty clear that in this podcast that all the opinions that are shared are those of the individual, not of the school system. We are here to learn from each other. So anything negative, positive, it's all about learning because things happen and we learn. That's that's how things work. So, welcome, Susie. Thank you. Thank you. Very exciting to be here. Yeah, indeed, and very exciting to have you as the first. I was going to do a formal introduction and, and be all very uh, Radio National ABC on you and just go, oh, and this is her background. But when it comes to Susie, I, I don't know if I need to introduce you, really, because you seem to be everywhere. If you're an entertainment teacher, you know who Susie is. And if not then you'll just find her anyway. So if you're a beginning entertainment teacher, you'll find her facilitating. So she's been doing it so long and she's the one that's going to be guiding you through. She guided me through. Back in 2008, I got my training and there was Susie teaching us all about the dreaded part A and part B syllabus and breaking it all down for us. You might find her at World Skills. You might be flipping through your latest article from CX Journal and there she is. I've even seen her lingering in the back of photos from NTech. There'll be a display and there's Susie in the background so you'll find her everywhere not only that she's achieved some amazing awards with the uh, 2017 National Achievement Award and just when you think you can't hide you'll find one of her kids so the other day I was up at NIDA doing some training and we had the tech helpers set up for uh, running the session and we're having a chat and he's like oh I had Susie. I went to Picton High. Say hi to her for me. So it doesn't matter where you go, you will find Susie. So it's great to have your level of experience here. And obviously, whether you know it or not, you have branched out nationwide, it would seem. So <laughs> congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's a bit scary. <laughs> I bet you didn't actually realise that, did you? No, no. <laughs> It's one of those things. You, you become a bit humble as you are and you don't realise that you know, your little moments with the students become big moments in their life. So I want to start at the beginning. So you started in 2002, is that correct? Yes, we were the, we were the guinea pigs. The guinea pigs. Okay, so if you taught me, who taught you? Nobody so. officially. Um, I, if you want to before, because a lot happened before 2002. Yeah, go for it. So, so I started um, being, an, I was a music teacher and I had this terrible thing that would happen that I'd have everything sounding fab fantastic in a classroom. I'd put it on stage and it would sound like garbage. And it was something I worked on and I thought about and I tried to work on, I'd read about it. Uh, I went to other schools who spent $10,000, which was a lot, a lot in the 80s, mm -hmm. on their technical production because they employed the professionals. And it didn't sound that much better than what I was doing. And so I started thinking, you know, if I had some money, I could buy some equipment and I could learn how to use that equipment, yep. and we could just do it ourselves, and that's and the kids would learn along the way. Because one of the things I found that 
we'd be going to put on a, a school assembly which started at nine, which meant I needed to be there at 6.30. Oh, yes. And alongside me would be a handful of kids who would have begged for the privilege of coming and help getting up at 6.30 and helping me. And I thought, these kids need proper training because the only training I'd get was us working out what we did. So um, I started and I managed to get some money from my principal because he got sick of the sound of feedback because at that stage all the school had was an old pair of PV speakers and a microphone and that was all anyone would ever need. And, uh, and I'd been gradually buying it myself because the school didn't have the money so my own collection started, started to build of better microphones and I rang up a, an audio company and I, I actually had $10,000 to spend. Wow. Which was a lot of money That's and a lot, it, of money. a lot of sweet talking to my principal to get that. And I rang them up and I said, I need to know where I need to start, what I, what I can um, get, explain my situation. And I really thought, as he spoke to me, how does he know I'm blonde? Because I felt like he put his hand through the, mic the phone and patted me on the head. Oh and he dear. said, oh dear. listen, dear, don't you worry about any your pretty little head about any of that sort of stuff. You shouldn't have to. He said... When you've got a show on, give me a call and I'll bring my men out and they will run it and you can just do the things that you're good at. And I said, thank you. Hang up. Yep. Um, I was mortified and I'd been trying to learn because there was no training whatsoever. So I'm guessing that company didn't get your business. It did not get my business. <laughs> um, then uh, my husband-to-be was just starting in, light, in theatrical lighting at the time and he told me about this great company, how they come in and I work with schools. So this company is now defunct, so I can get, I'm allowed to mention it. Okay. It was lots yep. of watts. Oh, yes. And um, they, they'd come out and talk to you. So I rang them and they didn't pat me on the head. In fact, they said, we'll come out. They catalogued everything I had and they said, anything you don't know, we now know what you've got. We can help you and we recommend buying one of these new consoles that we haven't even seen yet, but we've got a brochure. It was the um, Yamaha Pro Mix 01. Yes. They said, this is going to do a lot of things, it's going to be more economical for you, but our only concern is that will school kids be able to use something like this because it's digital, not analogue, and that's so much harder. Anyway, I looked at it and I said, no, I think school kids can handle this. Mm, mm. Because, again, it was that old style of thinking of, oh, you know, people want to use analogue so much easier than digital. It's not. It's yeah. different. So, anyway, so that's where I went from and I started learning and I went to some of their training courses. Oh, so they ran uh, their they, own... They, oh, they, they were un unofficial, they just... Give me a call and say, look, you know, we've got some new gear in. We're teaching some of our younger employees. Do you okay. want to come and sit in on it? I go, absolutely, and I'd be there. And then NIDA ran a course on audio. So I thought, yes. Now, it happened to be at the same date that we planned our wedding. Oh, dear. So <laughs> we, instead of getting married in January, we ended up getting married in April. So We actually hang on. postponed ha our wedding. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> so an audio course at NIDA took precedence over true love? Yes. Well, he came <laughs> with me and we did it together. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so it was nice. So, so it was sort of like you know, a pre-wedding honeymoon, if you can call a week at NIDA Indeed. Honeymoon, yes, yes. absolutely loved it and learnt so much. So I picked up training wherever, I, wherever anything was going, any in services, anything, just trying to get knowledge. I kept saying there needs to be proper training. Because, mm. uh, again, the in industry professionals go, no, you have to leave school at 14 and work as a roadie. That's how you learn. I go, but it's too late for me. I'm, I need to know now so that I can teach yeah. kids. Anyway. Well, you wouldn't have been 14 for a while then. No, no, point, I was so. well past 14 by yeah. that stage. So my passion for it and just every time I'd get something better, I'd be so happy. And I was often driven by the students. And if I can mention one of my other students, it was my um, who was we worked together. We were we were a team. Ramesh Satire, he's now the creative director of Songzu, which is one of the big music production companies. He's done very well. But he'd sort of come into school and say, "If we don't have a graphic equaliser, I just won't be able to. I won't be able to live." 
So I'd go to the principal and if I don't have a graphic equaliser, I won't be able to live. Well, especially, <laughs> especially in a school hall. That's right. So I'd go and get one, and together we'd learn how to use it. So, yep. I, so it, was, it was a lot of learning on the job. So that's where I started, and uh, then started doing events because my husband had built his company, so I started doing events with him yep. and then with some of the other local companies about working, theatre groups. And all the time I keep saying, this has to be a course. So I started teaching it as an unapproved um, or extra above approval type course for one unit, no exams, nothing. And I did that for many years. And then Oz Music came along, so I switched over to making it Oz Music because they had some good resources and they gave, at least the kids got a piece of paper. Yeah, yeah, so for sure. But at the same time, pushing and pushing. And then th they started talking about seriously about vocational education and it could be that. And it, a lot of fighting with that. And I went to a lot of pre-courses on that and I was on some of the little committees they had where the industry professionals were saying, no, no, school children cannot do this. If you need more help with any aspect of the entertainment industry training framework or HSE delivery, whether it's further training in a technical area you are less confident in or with classroom teaching ideas, check out www.entertainmentindustrytraining.com. And one of the people who I have the greatest respect for, Julius Grafton, he's, he's straight out said to me, you can't do this in a school. School kids can't do that. And I find mm. that he was really vocally against I, us. I do actually remember reading an article he wrote at one point, uh, essentially bagging us out yeah. because of our abilities to teach in a school setting. So yes. I'm hoping he's changed his mind since. A lot of it, he, I think he, oh, things have changed since then as well. So They have. And at the same time, when he did write that article, because he sent it to me and I said, hang on a minute, now let me tell you what I do and you tell me what I'm doing wrong. And he actually wound it back a lot. Yeah. And he said, there is good and bad. But um, I said to him, I said, so you're saying school children can't do this? He said, yes. I said, now, well, how old were you when you left school? He said, oh, they expelled me at 14. And I became a roadie. Okay, so at 14, you were running events. Yes. Well, I've got 17, 18-year-olds that I'm teaching how to run events. That's right. So it's an age is, thing. It's so an age it, thing. It was hard to get through so many of the older people in the industry, the difference that are, are some, they still saw a school kid as someone like a 12-year-old. Yes. So once they got through that, a lot of them actually did wind back their opposition, including Julius, and said, yes, it's got to be done right. Now, again, that was wonderful because he and I had a lot of conversations and he said, yeah, education has to happen. So that's why he, he opened his uh, Julius Meter College. Yes. So... One of his first students was me. Okay. <laughs> and I sat there and I learned and I did formal, all the formal units. So when the actual entertainment package finally got released, I was released and they said, put your CV in, I actually had a whole lot of units already. So I was up there. Yeah. And that certainly made a big difference to me. And 2002, when it became a reality, it was wonderful. Yeah. So even back then, though, I, I just want to put this into context for those that are listening. Um, back when Susie was first starting, this wasn't the age of YouTube where if you're like, oh, I don't know how to use an EQ, I can just YouTube someone showing me how to do it. And there wasn't, you know, if you wanted to find a course, you literally had to go and find a course. And, and not only that, the, um, it was the CUE framework back then, not the CUA that it is now. It was only in its infancy. It was only just beginning. And a lot of industry people were so used to learning on the job 
they were actually very shy about even a, a formal qualification, even though they see it in every other trade. You know, if you, you become a sparky or an electrician, then you obviously you, you do your apprenticeship, which is your on-the-job training, but you also do your certificate. And they were very cautious about having um, anyone really walk away with, let's say, a certificate three or a diploma or advanced diploma and, and feeling like they were more qualified than them that had worked on the floors for 10 years and, and that sort of stuff. And, and I guess I'm hoping now because there's so many of them in the, in the, in the industry that have gone through our course that they realise that it's complimentary, you know. Yes. They go together. Yes, and, and a lot of the older people were threatened by it and there was a lot of talk generally amongst people that, you know, I'm not going to be allowed to do the job because even though I've been doing it for 30 years, I don't have this piece of paper that says I can. Mm. And there was a lot of fear in that. And I can understand that. And, you know, having some kid with with a ink still fresh on the paper saying I know more than you do. Yeah, and the, and a kid that could walk in front on an unfamiliar console and not, not know what to do because that's not their particular training That's too. right, yes, and not even know how to turn the thing on. Yes. Is that, so that's, there was a lot of angst about that. Gradually over time it has improved, as you've said, because more and more young people have come out of schools and then gone and worked on the job. So when you did the initial training, uh, it was you and how many others? So who, who, who was about, not, not who was yeah. in the room because that was a long time ago, but about how many do you think went about through? About 24 of us came through and it was probably the most diverse group of teachers ever. That Joe Jimenez, who has run the training ever since I started, yep. he has said that first group was so diverse because any other framework... You're, if you're a hospitality teacher, you're a, you were a cooking teacher. Yes. If you're um, computers or whatever, you, you were a computer teacher. So it just, they all went together. Yeah. Entertainment, you can come from anywhere. So yeah, literally I've, I've met them from, you know, you, your classic is your music, your drama, and then you've got dance now, which also is a relatively new subject. Um, PE is quite a common one as well. Industrial arts. Yes, industrial arts. One of the best entertainment teachers who's gone on for a long way was... Um, Home economics. It's an interesting combo. Yes, it is. But um, this person is also trained in hospitality and it's all about events. So it's just a different form of event. Yeah. So, yeah, 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 like they come from everywhere and business services even because, again, some of the units... We do share them, yes. We share them because they're from that. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. The first syllabus was written in 2004. That's that's the record I can find and, and... looking at where I can get available data for the first lot of HSC going through, I think is 2006, which means syllabus written in 2004 by the time you get them through. Is that correct? Or, or no, is there like an earlier, was, slight earlier version? There was an earlier version, um, straining my brain cells at the moment. Sorry. Um, we were teaching from a syllabus pr- which was written prior to 2002. Okay. And that's what we started teaching with it. And 2003 was our first oh, maybe it was 2004, was our first HSC year. Okay. Yeah, it was, yeah, the the new syllabus. And then very quickly after that happened, they completely rewrote it and we got a whole new syllabus. So for us guinea pigs, uh, a couple of years later, there we all were back at NIDA again being retrained going, gee, life's tough because... Time at NIDA is amazing. And the food. And the food, yes. <laughs> I don't know, it shouldn't be the thing that jumps to my head first, but there's a lot of it and it's really good. So well, thank you to the caterers, caterers at NIDA. When you're a school teacher, having actually been given a lunch break and lunch, mm. especially entertainment, music and any of those performing art type things, lunches are a rarity. So it's, it's a, a treat, treat for two weeks of treats as far as I was concerned. And you've been involved in some of those syllabus changes? Yes, um, I've been on committees uh, working through them, including the latest ones we've had where um, they were looking very seriously at trying to actually take the um, practical units out of making them compulsory. 
Oh, okay. Was you could do actually be able to do, would have been able to do an entertainment certificate three without touching a light. For those that don't know, we when we're teaching it, we have core units and elective units. So the core units are quite often very diverse things. So it might be like provide service to customers. Um, and some of the practical units, like operate basic lighting, was part of that core as well. So there was a push to leave more of those generic things, I guess, to make it more flexible. Um, but it also had an understandable problem that there was no guidance for what sort of practical electives really should be chosen to get you that grounding because keep in mind it's also a, a um, introductory certificate even at a cert three level it's it's about being well um, placed to do all areas of entertainment if you want to specialize you can go off and do your diploma or dance diploma and, and often then you'll pick extra electives as well so how have you seen the syllabus change uh it's the, this big last big change, we got very excited about when they after we convinced them that no, we had to make the um, practical units still mandatory because mm. the previous syllabus really all you needed to do you had to do everything up to switching on the microphone, testing it's work, working, and then walk away. Now that never happens in a school because there's no way the kids are going to spend a weekend setting a gig up Absolutely. to actually not operate it. So obviously you did the bit, but they couldn't be assessed on it, and we kept saying this is ridiculous. Let it. Let us assess them on what they're doing. So we did do that. They, they changed it and they put um, operations units. And I always, when we act, it was all done, we then thought they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater because they actually then got rid of all the setting up units. Yes, yes. And there's only bits and pieces that refer to it and there's no way that you're going to be able to send somebody out to work in industry if they don't know how to patch together a PA. Yeah. See, the other thing I've found, and I know some of it's anecdotal, but with so much concentration on setting up and running, um, it feels to me that we've also lost some of the basic understanding of how things work in the first place because we're so busy trying to make them work we don't necessarily look as much at things like electricity flow and, and that sort of stuff or basic acoustics, which are going to have an effect on once we've plugged it all in and run it. Yes, yes. They've now sort of put that, let's look at that down, down the track further because we're now just training you to be an operator. And mm. in terms of looking for someone, if I'm running, a, I own a company and I want to employ someone, I want somebody who can actually put it all together, thank you. Operation's the easy bit. And that's where I'm really worried me that, some schools will have read that then and said, okay, well, there's no sit-up, that's good, I'll have it all set up and all they've got to do is push knobs. And that isn't what the spirit of the syllabus is because they've pulled units to make it a 240-hour course. They've just pulled units out. Yes. And to get in there, they've thrown out some of the precursor units and those the, the operate unit assumes you know how to put it all together. It's yeah, like assumed knowledge. That's, that's what I found. So, I thought it was a bit odd. And, and as teachers, obviously, we, we still teach that because we have to. Yes, so that, that worries me a little bit and I've seen a lot in schools that have absolute most fabulous auditoriums and nothing moves, everything is set and they just come in and put the fader up. Yes. That, and they, yep, so three ticket off. That is where industry is still is very right in saying they're not well enough trained. Well, I guess if we are also looking at it as we do for teachers of a vocational thing but career path, it, it does kind of stunt the student's growth of knowing that there's that next level. So if you know how it all works, then you can get to your design, to your, you know, those higher management, you know, being a lighting designer or being even a business owner that owns, you know, that has people come to them and say, we have an issue, we need to put on this festival, 
what do we do? We don't know what we're doing, but we want a festival in a cow paddock. You know, that, that sort of level of, of thought as well. Yes, I mean, it makes me think of one of my former students, Grant Hickey, who is an international lighting designer now. And he started off learning how the correct way to hang a parkan and which way to put a hook cave on. And I've run into him every now and again and his mother still lets me know what he's up to. And she says, he always says that grassroots training that he did at school st- still stands him in good stead when he's got to go and do, like he does a lot of work for Muse and things like that. He just, it stands him in good stead because he can think about the practicalities, not just the, isn't this going to be pretty sort of thing. Flashcards can be a really helpful study aid for your students and one of the best ways to teach and reinforce core knowledge before your students can move on to the application and higher order thinking parts of the framework. Entertainment Industry Training has a set of 24 lighting unit cards for only $3. Check them out on the website. So way early, obviously, this is groundbreaking for everyone. So was there any teaching and learning resources? Like what, what sort of stuff was available or was it a case of going, okay, I know what I need to achieve and, and I need to find a way of making this myself? Yeah, there was nothing, absolutely nothing. In fact, one of our NIDA days, some of us had done an extra unit somewhere else so we didn't have to go to um, this particular day. So we all decided we'd go resource hunting and we went to all the top bookshops, all the technical places, the libraries and came up with very little. There was just nothing there. Most of it was for English theatre or American theatre and it didn't suit us, it didn't have our terminology. And yeah, so it was very, very hard to start because there were no resources. And we had, at that stage, no teacher mentors who knew what they were doing. I was on my own in a school and most of us were. So there was no one to ask. You could ask technical questions if you had contacts and I had those, so I was lucky. So I could find out technical things, but there was so much I didn't know. So this is, again, to put this in context, this is before social media. So I know when I first started, and again, social media wasn't really a thing, it it was about to get going, but if you wanted to talk to another entertainment teacher, you had to find one. And in my particular region, there was only three of us, I think. And that was the Illawarra Southeast region, and that's quite a large area. And it's now evolved into the Wagga Wagga region, which is huge. It's about the size of France, they used to describe it as. So at least now we have social media and there's the Vet Entertainment Group and, and we actually can talk to each other, even if it's online, I guess, to help each other out. Yeah, social media, the internet, all of those things were very... Well, they weren't really in existence when we started. And as a teacher, I just keep thinking, wow, this is fantastic oh, looks like I already invented the wheel. I didn't need to. Somebody else did. So, yeah, it's just the resources out there now are just fabulous. But when we started, it was really hard. Uh, With my students, for instance, um, I had my first class was actually a combined class. It was my year 12 class who did four units in one year. We were a bit special because they wanted to get that that certificate three. Yes, of course. And they wanted to get that qual and they'd been doing my other course the previous year. So they just said, yep. So we had a a composite class. Why not? Why not? Yeah. It was only about eight kids and they were all outstanding technicians. And they, so they'd be sitting at the back of the room and I'd have my year 11s in the front who were all fairly new at it. And they'd be, I'd be sort of, I'd have prepared my notes and researched and got them and I'm saying, I'd write this down and they'd be doing stuff and I'd, they'd be all busily writing down. Then one day I walked up the back of the room. They looked like they were writing it down. They didn't have pens in their hands because they were techies and they didn't care. They could not care less about customer service, even yes. though I kept explaining it is really important. And I, and I ripped it and said, I spent all night writing these notes up for you. They said, well, copy them for us. I said, we don't have the budget. I spend all our money on new microphones and leads and things like that. Why would I waste it on photocopying? No way. I said, you know, it cost me $10 to copy your notes. And it was almost choreographed. They all pulled out $10 notes out of their wallet and said, do it. 
Nice. So from there on, I actually started, thought that's that's a fair point. So I started writing books and things. For so that's students. how you now got your budgets? You got the kids to give you $10 every time they needed to write notes? Is that? No, that no, no, or? no. I just photocopied my notes and gave it to them once. Not not going to rip off the kids. No way. <laughs> no. But it really, it brought it home to me that these students are just, they were not into writing notes. and They yes. weren't, they wanted to play toys. And it really reminded me that's really that's our number one thing because not one of them was sitting in HSC. Yeah. They were all vocational students. So for that first group, it was all just about doing the prac things. And I mean, two of them went on to work for in, in the industry for many years. So they, they went well from it. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had uh, many students that are either highly literate and do brilliantly at the HSC or may not be, but geez, they will do anything you ask them to do because they've got all that skills and knowledge. They just don't have that ability to write it down you know and that, that makes a big difference as well and it's actually a recent trend we've noticed is that there's a lot less students even though there are more and more schools running the course and there are more and more schools doing it the the schools and the students are getting quite selective about um that they will still achieve their hsc but they don't necessarily need to do the exam because they've already got the skills they want or others that are going yeah i want an atar and i want to even do let's say a, a uni they might want to do a theater course and do the backstage stuff through there and they're, they're using that as a pathway too yes and that's with most of my classes i'll probably only the most i'd probably have at the end of a out of a class of 20 i'd probably have six who sat the hsc for the exam because they didn't need to. And the exam is geared for those who are more academic anyway. Yep. So the st student who could barely get 10 words together on paper could probably run a major event for me. Absolutely. And so if he did the exam, he'd get this mark that wouldn't be very good that says he's no good at entertainment, which would really con contradict the report that said that he's the world's best entertainment person. Yep. So he's better off just not to get that mark. But don't you find that interesting in terms of it's it's quite a dynamic comparison because they are doing all of these same sort of theory questions as part of the cluster packages anyway. Yes. So they're already answering these questions. And so having them just sit in a hall for two hours and answering should, should I use that word selectively, should be the same thing. Yes, but the cluster task, as long as they got the answer right, doesn't matter if it wasn't strung together over coherently. And that was that's a great answer. I love that. So it's really pushing the point about that the HSC markers and the HSC are actually looking for particular things as well. So it's not just knowledge, it's about structuring your answer. That's right. And, and exam technique. Yep. And all of those things. And if you're doing a vocational educational HSC, you might not even be might not even be doing English. You just might be doing the English studies. So therefore, why? Yep. Why <laughs> suffer through an exam necessarily? Um, now, so you are retired now. Um, I use that term lightly, of course, because for some reason you can't get out of retirement. It was very hard to walk away from teaching. Uh, very hard. Um, I, my, I'm the old scheme super. Okay. And so, yep. if, so that gives you a good idea why I retired, because once you've, you're super matures, you're working for nothing. Yeah. So that was a big point. And I did have an injury too. Okay. Um, I tore both my shoulders at, at a lighting event. <laughs> but anyway, fell over and slipped over. In the we moment. won't mention that on, no, on radio no, for no, workers' comps no, purposes. No, we won't. <laughs> uh, no, no, they know about it. Um, and uh, so my main, my other job was music teaching and I can't hold my arm out to play guitar anymore and yep. all those sort of things. So yep. I thought this is a time to walk away. And my high school was also about to go through a major remodel. Um, basically, they're 
knock down Picton High School around while while people are still trying to teach in there. And yeah. I thought this is good. This is this is a good end point for a nice, my time. Nice clean, clean 30, end. Yeah. Thirty-four years at Picton High School was long enough. That's a long time. But I don't regret any of it. I loved it. Would you like to be a podcast superstar? We are currently looking for a range of teachers and trainers to tell their story. Go to www.entertainmentindustrytraining.com forward slash podcast and follow the apply to be interviewed link to lodge your interest. Teaching for so many years, obviously we all get better at our job as we go. Are there any things that you can sort of, let's say, put your pulse on for how did Susie improve? So is there stuff that like you were doing earlier on and then, you know, because we all experiment. Uh, we experiment with different teaching styles or methods. And, and I know, yes, we've already talked about the syllabus and how much that changed, but what about your actual teaching practice? It, what, what were notable events with that? First thing was to become a lot less teacher-centred. That was my number one thing. Um, there is no way I can be in 30 places at a time on a bump in and a gig. So I had to loosen the reins. So I had to work out how was I going to do that. So that was a matter of very quick, very quickly, they were the ones that rise to the top that are very good at it. So I had section heads. Okay. So yes. I had my head of lighting, head of sound, head of vision, head of staging, head of front of house. So they then, they were my team leaders. So when we were doing an event, I would meet prior to them, we'd sort out what was going to do, and they would lead it, and I would just wander around and troubleshoot as necessary. So that was a big thing, because standard teacher thing is you've got your finger in every pie and no one's even going to look sideways without your permission. Absolutely. So that was to loosen those reins off and become less teacher-centred. And that worked really well, to the extent the next year the section leaders would be looking for their recruitments who's going to be on my team. Oh, okay, So yep. we worked a lot of teams. Yep. Obviously, they've got to do all areas, but then you have your core teams of the ones who like to specialise in lighting. So did you find their knowledge, because that, that's skills-based, did you find their knowledge of that subject stuff then went up as well? Oh, yes, because they were just learning so much. Because for a start, you learn, if you know something, and you only really know it when you can teach it to somebody else. So quite often, they'd be doing something, and a team leader would come and go, Miss, I can't remember. i go, right, and off they go. And they do it. Um, and they, because never giving away the fact they didn't know it all along. Oh, not to the new not, ones. Not the new ones, yes. And, and interesting, even down to the fact that they'd be starting to look at the year 10 students who hadn't even selected the subject saying, you need to do entertainment because I think you'd be really good to be in my team. So do you think that was a good even recruitment Absolutely. strategy? Absolutely. Uh, they re- what they sort of, a lot of them said, you know, we're treated like people. I said, yeah, you're not my students, you're my staff. Yeah. And so therefore I'm not going to be nice like a teacher will be. Because I'm your boss. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. <laughs> yes. So um, that was one of the things that made me change my teaching. And once that, once, then it becomes self-perpetuating. Because so, but hang on. Let's go back. Where did that idea come from? Like, was that just a case of going, I feel like I'm beating my head against the wall because I can't be everywhere. I, I feel like I'm only getting so much knowledge. And like, was it just a spark of brilliance one night or, or in yes. the shower or, you, you know, walking the dog and just go, let's try this? It was sheer exhaustion. And realising that even though I'd fought and said they're young adults, they can learn this, I hadn't fully embraced it. Yes, they are young adults. That's a good point because you were mentioning before and the industry was telling you that they can't do it and then you almost agreed with them by not letting them. Yeah, so that was, yeah, so that, and you know, I'm a bit of a control freak as they all knew, so therefore I might have let loose the reins, but I was still watching. Oh, and um, yeah, so that was learning to do that. And that was, that was quite hard for me, but gradually I got used to it to the extent of when there's events on, the principal calls for something to be done, I just know I can go, you, 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 go do. Yeah. And it, it's done and it's no effort on my behalf. The other thing for teaching for me is I am the messiest person in the world. So um, for me, it was getting paperwork done. Computers saved because I could go, I could handle computers because... 
it just goes into spirals and it yes. happens. So that actually made my life a lot better because I started doing everything digitally. In fact, when we went through our VTAB audit, I think it might have been 2008 or something, they were a bit shocked because I was entering directly onto computer. And they said, why are you doing that? Why aren't you doing a paper? I said, oh, I'd lose it. Yep. It's on computer, it's here, it's saved straight to the network. So that was, for me, was learning to be organised because there is so much paperwork for entertainment. Absolutely. And see, there was even a time where we would have to make photocopies of all the stuff and store it in three locations in case there was a fire. It's all yes. cloud-based now, which is lovely. Yes, yes. And that's, you know, I went through that one too. And again, yeah, okay, yeah, well, I do have a copy somewhere, but how about I've got it on my USB, I've got it on my home computer and I've got it on the school computer. Isn't it enough? Um, so yeah, cloud base is wonderful. Mm. So I lived through all that too. Yeah, well, and I guess that that's one thing for the new teachers that they, you know, they, they don't understand the blessing that they have that we've broken so many barriers to get you to this point. By the way, so yes. Obviously, over time you would have to innovate. You've got to change things up as you learn more about teaching the subject, more about the industry, your own skills. Um, so to put you on the spot, and I, I actually have a little idea of what I think is um, one of. The, one tactic that you did, and, and I don't think you realise how important it was, but I want to know your thing. And then let's see if it matches up anyway, because chances are you don't realise that my knowledge of you and, and what I think this did actually change a lot of people's lives as well. But what was probably the most innovative idea or thing that you did or implemented or came up with? So you did mention the mentor thing. Maybe it's that. Um, or was there something else um, that you came up with that you thought was just super Super damn innovative. You got me there. <laughs> I'm not asking you to try and anticipate what I thought it no, was. I don't know. I guess I was, because I was surviving. Look, the reality, I was surviving. I had a passion. I just wanted to do this stuff and I just taught through it. Did everything I could to make it happen. Uh, one of the innovative things I did was because I needed money and you can only cry so much at the boss. And then we got a female boss, so the tears didn't work. That hurt, um, but she was a wonderful boss. <laughs> she was, and she did support me in a lot of ways. But tears didn't work. Um, I to raise money for my course, we started doing school discos, oh, not okay. for us, but for primary schools. Yep. So we'd bring our crew out, and we bought these really cheap, easy lights because we only had you know twenty amps tops to play with, and we just the kid and my students knew all the right songs, and I'd take some of the girls from the dance crew in a dance class, and we'd do a disco and they'd give us four hundred, four or $500. So and essentially you set up a production company. I set up a production company, yes. And we went out and we did all the school discos, all the primary schools, and they were so much more successful. Because, and it started again because a primary school teacher said, you know, we pay all this money and you know, it's okay, but I'd, I'd much rather see that money go to the high school. And I think you guys could do a better job, especially if you bring people that our students relate to. Yep. And can I just, maybe it's a little on a tangent. No, you're right. But... We, have an we had an entertainment shirt. It was just something I, I said because we have to have it. We must be a team. We have an entertainment shirt. Yep. And it hasn't, I don't know, whether, I think they're still using the same silk screen. Anyway, so that made us a team and made us look good and it united us. And they'd all be out in the, out in the community wearing those black shirts. One day I was talking to one of my Year 12 students and he said, I said, oh, you know, what made you think about entertainment? He said, oh, I've been waiting since kindergarten to do this. When you came to our school disco, I wanted a black shirt. And we did the Wallandilly Public Schools Performing Arts Festival, so that was a great PR thing for us. And again, every primary school kid saw us. We had kids come to Picton High School that would never have come to Picton High School because I was supposed to go to private schools that came to Picton to do entertainment. And for that shirt. For that shirt, for that black shirt. Yep. 
That was actually what I have. I've got it literally <laughs> written there. And I thought she may or may not get this. And, and because I remember you telling us the story and, and it, I know why I say it's such a dramatic thing is that so many other schools have then done it because you, you don't realise that um, it's such a simple idea. It's, it's a shirt. You've got to wear blacks anyway. But having something that like the dance companies do, um, it gives you a sense of belonging. It gives you a family uh, to belong to. It gives you something to aspire to get towards. And, you know, there's a lot of schools, a lot of teachers that struggle to recruit and have enough you know, kids to run a class as well. And it's little things like that. It's just a shirt. It's yes, just a shirt. shirt. Yes, in Cooper was a the print, the, the font, Cooper print, Picton High School Technical Crew in white print on a black shirt. I went for collared because I wanted this to look a little bit neater. Of course. And, uh, you know, again, some other people said, oh, no, just make it a standard shirt. No, no, collar means we can go into clubs, so, even though we weren't going to. But it was just that sort of thing. But that shirt was also a back, like a backstage pass. If you had that Indeed. shirt on, you were on school business. You could go anywhere. You'd get served at a canteen at a time that even teachers couldn't get served at. Yep. I had one student one day turn up. I said, we were setting up for a major... Uh, thing and I needed the principal's laptop to make it all work. I said, I'll oh, go and get see the principal and see if it's possible to get the laptop. He came back with it. Pretty well, just came and took it off the principal who was using it at the time and said, we need this and go on. And it was a kid in a black shirt. Yep. He had yep, no yep. idea who he gave his laptop to, but he did come over later. He and knew said, he could like, trust it because it was one of Susie's gifts. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that, that sort of sense and, and power and respect in the school. And so many of the students I had were not academics. We, we did have a lot of academics as well, but all of a sudden, they were important people in the school because they yeah. weren't sporting kids, they weren't academics, but they were a pretty damn important person. And they were out there and they were seen. You know, yes. that's the other thing with backstage crew, you're not meant to see them. Um, so we try to hide them away and that's where, why we wear black as well. Um, but yeah, just a, that's what I thought was crazy and when I heard the story and, and, that, and it, like I said, it's been implemented so many other places and it's just a shirt. It's just a shirt. And, you know, they even had to pay for it themselves. Yeah. In fact, we made a $2 profit on it. Oh, there you go. See, yep. more fundraising, more fundraising. Okay, so we may have already covered this, but I'll just ask it again in case there's other bits. But um, you've seen this subject change over time. Do you think it's better or worse? I think it's better. I really do think it's better. When we started, there were still a lot of people who were very much, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they say that we've got to hang lights, and I use lights because they're the least common thing. Yep. But... The students are going to do that on work placement, so we don't have to worry about it. Then when you quiz them, it turns out their, their, their work placement was a cinema. Okay. So, like, where were they going to hang lights? But that sort of... It was very laissez-faire sort of thing. Now, with because we are so much more regulated, the, the syllabus is very specific, they're actually... The teachers are more accountable and our students are having a real... Are being given a real experience. And one school, when I was... We were writing the support resources for the department. Okay, yeah. And... It was in 2004 when we were starting, they would change things and I was on the team writing support resources. And they, one of the teachers there said, oh, no, no, we don't need to touch lights. Uh, we can write essays about that. Now, and, yes. and there was a very elite private girls' school and they were getting band sixes. Every single kid got a band six and there was yep. no option about not doing an HSC because they could write brilliant essays about it. But they weren't employable, not in the industry. Yeah, they didn't Unless have those skills. That, that, and that, that really worried me and I'm, I've seen that change a lot and you're now seeing students actually doing things. Mm. But it always comes down to the teacher and that's where it comes to. And if the teacher doesn't have that passion and, and enthusiasm to get out all the gear to play with, yeah. 
the kids won't have it and the course is going to be a real fizzer. And I think that's hard for some teachers too because we are so um, passionate, yes, but we are also asked to do so much. And as much as you said, quite often it's a very diverse field of teachers and subjects that come in. It is primarily the performing arts teachers that become entertainment ones. So they're already expected to do a lot with music ensembles, dance festivals, touring drama things and that sort of stuff. It can wear you down. So what would your advice be for even just keeping that passion going? Yeah, it does wear you down, but it's the passion is generated by what you do. You might think, oh my goodness, I've got to do, I've, I've, got, a, I've got a concert band playing, I'm going to be conducting them, I've actually got my tech kids running backstage, I'm going to be monitoring them. And you think, this is all too much, but it's the, the doing of it and the passion from your children, your, your students, because they're so excited about your excitement, that's what gets you through. But... Don't take off more than you can chew. That's Yeah, and that's a time management. Well, that's a yes. management. And I guess that's one, one thing for the beginning teachers to be learning. It, it, it is such a struggle to get yourself to a point where you've got enough experience to do all of that. Yes, and that's what I always tell the trainee teachers. I've shown them photos and things of what I've done and practice and refining and getting my entertainment muscles going. You are not going to do any of that in your first year. You're probably going to do some school assemblies and help out with the school musical or if you can't avoid it. Yeah, um, which is great anyway because yeah. that gets you your start. That, that gets that's right. your basic skills built. Yeah, so that's don't, you know, don't bite off t- t- too much, but it's the passion of, and it's the excitement of the event. Uh, to me, and it, I've never lost it, when fighting for funding, which is, was my regular sort of thing because they constantly change the funding model, always aim to sort of cut me back, but it didn't work. Um, one day they were doing it and I wanted to put more money in the maths department and... I just said to the principal, I said, now, well, I'd like, just before you decide you want to slash my budget, let's look at value for money here. I said, come to school, get to school at 8.30, school starts at 9, and see how many kids are lined up outside the music block because they can't wait to get into the music block. Yeah. They want to get the entertainment gear out, they want to get their instruments out. Now, go down to the maths block and see how many kids are lined up at the door to borrow a maths textbook. And, and no offence to maths if anyone from maths is no, listening. No, not being rude, <laughs> but... And there, I know there are some absolutely fabulous maths teachers indeed, too. Indeed, But I said, let's just look at... This is where, we, this is where it's at. Yeah. And this is, what, this is what is engaging our students. If we're talking student engagement, we are just up there. And like you said earlier, you were drawing um, students from other places that could have gone to yes. other schools as well. But they weren't offering it. Well, we, I had two two strings to my bow. I had my band concert band program, which was very good, and my entertainment. And there was a huge crossover of students who one minute are playing the trumpet solo, then then they're stripping off their band suit and jumping in their, back into their blacks. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, because even though you're know, saying oh you've got a big workload, it all goes together. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that too. We, we would do like an Aussie rock concert at our school and the kid would be playing drums and then have three songs to get backstage all the way around the back to then load up their show that they programmed on the lighting console and run it. Yes, yes. And even when we did um, concert band tour, because we used to go all over New South Wales and all parts of Australia as well, yep. um, the, the entertainment students were all already in the band, so they were right. But I said, you know what, we need to take more entertainment students. So then the ones who weren't actually musicians came along as roadies. So it was, again, it was inclusive. Yeah. And it was good because the students of different backgrounds met. So the classical players got to find out how good the guys at gaffing t- cables. And how much is involved in that. Yes, and how much work it is. And they learned to respect each other. So yeah. I think a lot of respect gets learned by having those sort of um, cross 
areas. And that teamwork environment, yep. One of the last things I want to do is maybe have you address the students because the hope is, of course, that we've got lots of students also listening as well as the teachers. So what are your best tips to give for a student, assume you're talking to a student and not me, on how to get through the certificate and then if they're choosing to do the HSE exam, how to get the best results out of that. And I don't mean, you know, like an actual band six or something, but just to get the best for their level. Okay, well, there are two areas. First one is the, the certificate yep. and to get the best you can out of that because that certificate's about getting employed. So my advice is jump into every event you possibly can because quite often there'll be things, yes, you've got to do and there are other things that you get, you'll, you'll be given an opportunity to do. So everything you can do, jump in and do it. If you get opportunities outside school because most communities have theatre groups and church groups and all that sort of stuff, jump in and do it so you can use those skills that you learned at school in those organisations and you will pick up different skills from those organisations. So Bring them back. knowledge isn't just from your school teacher. They don't know everything, yeah. even if they try and tell you the same. Yeah. Um, so get knowledge from everywhere so that you, you come out well-rounded and you come out of this course employable. Now, the second thing is the HSC. Learn to start writing down those answers because I know my top entertainment students who don't do very well in written papers do know the answers. It's about learning to write them down. Start practising and start practising early. If you're going to be sitting at HSC, start practising how do I write down how to put together a PA system. Not just go and do it because we all know you can do it. Yes. Practice writing down and doing diagrams and all those things so that when it comes time to write a coherent answer, you can. Because we know you know it, but... It's just got to become a natural process yes. for them. Yep. Yep. Time for the rapid three. Number one, what's your favourite unit to teach? I love lighting. I always talk about lighting. I'm actually an audio person mainly, but I love teaching lighting because it's just, there's so many pretty things and there's so ooh, ah, wow effects. You can see your results. So I, I think my most favourite one to teach is lighting. If you could have any resource, what would it be? Um, what I always dreamed of and never had, um, winchable electric bars going up and down, all preloaded with um, moving lights and standard fixtures. So that um, just, yeah, having everything that opens and shuts. What's been your most inspired uh, student learning moment? One of my inspired moments was a student who was an acad- very academic student and I put him on the lighting console. He was on lighting team for his first event. He was one of those students every time you did something, oh, this was okay, but, and you then give you a whole lot of whinges. Yep. Anyway, he came up to me after the end and said, Miss, that was awesome. That was awesome. Oh, that was so much fun. I kept waiting for the but. So no but. No but. No but. And he became my head of lighting. Awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. And his father, at the end of the course, said, I'd like to thank you for all you've taught my son. I said, oh, yes, he's done very well in music and um, he's been quite good in lighting. He said, no, you taught him how to use an electric screwdriver. You turned him into a useful person. He fixes things around the house that he would have fallen over before and still not fixed. Thank you for turning my son into a useful person. Well, thank you very much for your time. It's been wonderful learning everything we can from you. So um, I'd just like to yeah, acknowledge Susie for all the hard work that she does. Um, she may have been teaching for a long time. She may apparently be retired, but she's still giving. She's still giving to our industry. She's still giving to the teachers. So thank you very much, Susie. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the first of our Training Together podcast. In the next episode, we interview Ricardo Cancino, who has recently completed his entertainment teacher training at NIDA and talks about what it's like to be a newbie in a school with a subject already established. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Entertainment Industry Training, all one word for the latest in training.